Amen. Good morning, North Hills. It is good to be with you this morning. Welcome to uh, all of those who are with us, both in person and online. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. And like we normally do, maybe a tad more than normal. Of course, we're going to be all over the Bible this morning, so uh, whether you have your paper Bible or your app or your whatever it is you have, just get it fired up and warmed up. But we are continuing this morning in Colossians, of course. We've been in Colossians for a while. Uh, if I wrote my note down, I think this is our 16th sermon in Colossians. We had, have now outlined the rest of Colossians. I forgot, how many did we say? Is it 10, 11, 12 sermons in Colossians 3 and 4? Something, I don't know. We'll be here until we're finished. How about that? Uh, so maybe two, a uh, couple months or so left in this uh, wonderful book. Having a great time in Colossians. Uh, excited about finishing uh, Colossians two in the next couple of weeks. Um, but just a uh, just a rich, rich passage that we have been in, uh, especially Colossians two. And so this morning, as we continue in Colossians two, we are we find ourselves in uh, Colossians two sixteen. The task this morning was uh, Colossians 2, 16 through uh, 19. But alas, we are not going to find ourselves finishing uh, the, te- the text in front of us. We'll get through uh, verse 17 and we'll finish uh, 19 next week. But really to do justice, we need to back up here in just a little bit as we will do. Uh, but, uh, but this morning, let us, uh, let's read our text and then we'll back up. Let's go ahead and read kind of the whole text as was outlined for us and then we'll see what happens. Is that good? All right, let's, uh, let's read Colossians 2, starting in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Let us pray this morning. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to to be together, Lord. Thank you for this time that we have in your word. Thank you for this letter that you've given us through uh, the inspiration of the Spirit through the pen of Paul, Lord, that can now turn our attention to ultimately to Christ and how He is the fulfillment of it, Lord, and how this text is about Him. And so, Lord, Lord, now we pray that through Your Spirit that You will guide us through this text. And may He be exalted through our time this morning. In His name we do pray. Amen. Well, as we continue in Colossians chapter 2, as we come to this uh, this passage to really to do it justice, as we have been these past several weeks, it really have to go. We have to go back to verse uh, verse six there, uh, as we as we start in verse sixteen, we see this word. Therefore, I know you get tired of me saying it. We're going to say it every time we come to therefore, and we ask North Hills, 
What's it there for? And I did tear up a little bit this past week. We were in a Bible study and I heard someone on their own accord ask that question. It was like they were thinking, it was, almost, it was even kind of out loud. They asked the question, what's it there for? And that is just such a wonderful sign of personal Bible study because the word therefore, as you read scripture, is there so much. And so it's a great question to ask as you read the bible it's it's a great question of context when you see therefore to ask that question and we see it all through paul's writings and so he's constantly building this case and really this case doesn't even start in verse six it starts as when he starts the letter he's constantly building a case in the book of Colossians. And so it doesn't just start in verse 6, it starts in Colossians, in the very beginning. As he is writing, as he, in, in the beginning of this letter to the church of Colossae, he starts off thanking God for the people of Colossians. He, his love for the church. And he's never even met these folks, if you remember. He loves the church of Colossae. He loves the, 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 the work that God is doing in them. He turns his attention to the preeminence of Christ and who Christ is. And we talked about how the book of Colossians is going to turn to the magnificence of Christ. And we've seen that here in the middle of Colossians chapter 2. But then whenever we get to chapter 2, he turns his attention to this warning of these false teachers. And that's now we we really find our attention now in the middle of chapter 2 of these false teachers of this continual warning. Of these false teachers who are going to come in and begin teaching false things. That's why they're called false teachers. They teach false things. They, t- they, they, they try to lead people away from the true gospel. And, and Paul is constantly encountering these folks in the ancient Near East. He's constantly uh, teaching uh, believers in, these, uh, in, in the churches around that he is setting up. He's constantly teaching believers how to spot false teachers as he is constantly teaching the true gospel and how to look to christ in this true gospel and so we see these things building up and so let's go back to now verse six and let's kind of real quickly these first few verses but in verse six it says therefore as you receive christ jesus the lord so walk in him and we see these commands that first command so walk in him rooted and built up and established in the faith as you were taught and then it says see to it that no one takes you captive and there's this warning, right, by uh, philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, by these elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of the, de- of the deity dwells bodily, that you've been filled in Him who is the head and the royal authority. We see this later on in our passage that we just read. And then in verse 11, in Him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. And then skip down to verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now check this out. Made alive together. So this is where this therefore kind of starts. So he's talking to the Colossians. You were made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So he lumps himself in there with the Colossians. So us, right? We've been made alive together with Christ, and we've been forgiven our trespasses. We've been forgiven our sins. And, and this is where Adam was last week, and just did a phenomenal job walking us through this text by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, right? And we could just camp out there for a while. 
this beautiful text of, of what's happening in verse 14. And this, he set aside this fact that this debt that we owe that stood against us, but he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And what did he do? He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So therefore, so because of all of that, because of what Christ has done, because of our standing with Christ, and because of what He has done, because of, because of what Christ has done for His people, because, the, he is, because of God has made us sinners alive together with Christ, because we have been forgiven of our trespasses, of our sins, and we are one with Christ, and because the Holy Spirit is alive inside of us, and Christ dwells in us, because of these things are true, because there is life in us, and that life is Christ, and because the light dwells in us, and that light is Jesus, then this truth that we're going to see in Colossians 2, 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 and 20, and 21, 2, and 3. These things are true. So that therefore is very important. Therefore, it is a hinge. So these therefores that we see in Scripture are very important. We don't just need to gloss over them. It is Paul's love for the church. It is the preeminence of Christ. It is this caution against these false teachers. It's all summed up right there in this therefore. So you can't truly understand the real freedom that we're going to that we're going to walk through this morning, this liberty that we're going to see, this these commands that we're going to see that Paul's going to issue to the church, until you really soak in these verses of thirteen through fifteen there in chapter two. It's because of what Christ did in his life. It's because of what Christ did in his death, and his burial, and his resurrection from the tomb because of how he reigns sovereign over the universe that it's true in verse 16 of what we're going to walk through this morning. It's because of this and because that we have been made alive together with him and it's because that he dwells within us. It's because of who we are in him that lets us understand this text more thoroughly this morning. So, with that in mind, with this therefore in the back of our mind, or really in the front of our mind, let's look now at what Paul says. So therefore, he gives two negative commands. We're going to deal with one of them this morning. Now, negative command, that's not a bad command. A negative command is simply, it means a command telling someone what not to do. So we're going to deal with one of these negative commands. So this is what he tells someone not to do. Let no one pass judgment on you. Now he could have said this in a number of different ways, right? But he gives it in the tone of a negative command. So let no one pass judgment on you. And he says it in four different things. So he addresses four different areas. Now it's interesting. He says, let no one. And he uses a singular 
uh, a singular pronoun here. Let no one. Now, it could mean, it could mean two different things here. It could mean a very specific person. He could be talking about one particular false teacher. He could be addressing one guy that, that could be that could have infiltrated the Colossian church. They could be dealing that these Colossians could be dealing with one guy who's been, you know, could have been yakking, right? Could have been infiltrated the church and could be um, could be uh, delivering the, these false messages that we've been talking about. But we don't know that for sure. Or it could be just a generic no one. We don't really know. But even in our life, right, and even in our context, we're going to talk this morning about these four things, about food and drink, about annual festivals, new moons, and the Sabbath, about ultimately some of this mosaic law stuff. And even in our life, for some of us, this is going to be generic things that, that we're going to talk about, that maybe you don't have anyone in your life that speaks to these things. But some of, us, some of us, we do. Some of us, we have people in our life who speaks to these issues. We want to go back to the law and living according to the law. So maybe for you, it is a specific person. Or maybe for you, it's a generic, it's just a generic thought of those who would pass judgment on you. And so whether it's an individual or whether it's a generic person, the command's the same. Let no one pass judgment on you, Paul says. Let no one pass judgment on you. And he mentions four things. I don't have clear points for you this morning so it's going to be kind of uh kind of clear for you this morning i'll be clear in my unclarity is unclarity a word it is now how about that so there's your there's your clarity so here's these four things that paul says to not let anyone pass judgment on you these four questions if you will there's these four things that there is judgment being passed around with the Colossians. So he says, let no one pass judgment on you in these four realms, these four areas. Because we lump food and drink together because he lumps them together. He says, food and drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon, which we'll talk about and I'll explain that in a moment, or a Sabbath. So food and drink festivals new moons or sabbath and these are the four things that these colossians these new these colossian believers these new testament christians these new covenant believers are being attacked over so they were attacking these colossians over these issues food and drink festivals new moons and the sabbath over these four areas we want to look at these four areas over why they would have been attacked over them and see how that even looks in our life. So let's start with food and drink. Now it is uncertain exactly what food and drink the judgment would have been passed around here. Because typically drink wouldn't have been an issue that there would have been judgment over food. There's a lot of food issues in the ancient Near East. A lot of food issues in the, uh, the Mosaic Law that we can definitely point to. And we'll talk about here in just a moment. And so there's asceticism that we're going to talk about next week, especially we see asceticism mentioned in verse 18 there. We see it mentioned again in verse 22, uh, verse 23, I believe it appears. And so we'll talk about asceticism next week. And so kind of, um, but we don't, know, we don't know exactly what they mean when it says this, uh, this judgment over food and drink. But we know that they're being judged over what they're eating and what they're drinking. Now go with me to Mark chapter 7. Jesus makes it very plain to us, though, that it doesn't really matter. So go to Mark chapter 7, and we'll look at, we'll look at verse, we'll start in verse uh, 14. 
I'm in the wrong book. Mark. One of my great fears as a preacher, just a little side note, is that I write down the wrong reference in my notes, and I go to it, and then I don't know what the right reference is, and you're just stuck. Hopefully, it won't happen this morning. But Mark chapter 7, verse 14. There we go, right reference. Mark 7, verse 14. What defiles a person? Jesus gives us crystal clarity this morning on what defiles a person and what does not defile a person. Jesus, in this verse, uh, Mark 7, 14, he calls and he called the people to him and again said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's very clear here, right? And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, because sometimes the disciples, they're not very quick, right? So they said, Jesus, could you understand that? We didn't quite get it. So he said to them, then, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and it is expelled? Thus, and this is kind of a side note from Mark here, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Far from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. As Jesus is always doing in his ministry, he comes to internalize the external. So he is saying to his disciples, he is saying to those who is listening, it is not the external. It is not this food anymore. It is not this drink anymore that defiles a person. And Mark makes it even more clear. He says he is calling all foods clean. And there is, that it is not about food anymore. So it is not this food issue. And we see Paul making it even more clear. So don't let anyone pass judgment on you on these questions of food. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I believe it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1. Paul is talking to a different church here. We'll kind of read... Um, just kind of skip around a little bit. We're going to read the first nine verses and then a little bit in 10 and 11. We're going to read kind of fast. We've got a good bit of ground to cover here. But I want us to kind of see this picture of what's happening as Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. 
For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom are all things, through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former associations with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we, were, if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. So he says, it's irrelevant, this food, he says. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Or if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if, this con- if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother, brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Am, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and to drink? And skip over to chapter 10 starting in verse uh, 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, and don't eat it. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's, else's conscience? If I partake my thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because for, what, for which I give thanks. And in verse 31, a verse we say often around here at North Hills. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I know that's a lot of, a lot of Scripture. And I don't want to just like blow by that for the sake of just reading Scripture and proof texting by any stretch. But the best way to under, understand Scripture is Scripture. The best commentary is Scripture. And so whenever Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions or food or drink, the best way to understand that is to, to go to God's Word. And so there's no condemnation on what we eat or drink. And we see Jesus say that. We see Paul say that to the Colossians. We see him say that to the Corinthians. We see him say that in other places in God's Word. And so there's no, there's no command to the New Testament believer on what we eat or what we drink. It says in whatever we do, in whatever we eat, whatever we drink, let us do it for the glory of God. Can we do it in faith? So let no one pass this judgment on you on what you eat or drink secondly he says this he says let no one pass judgment on you on these annual festivals on these annual festivals and so what are these annual festivals 
Uh, these annual festivals are, are many. Um, there's uh, some would say there's seven uh, we see in the Old Testament. Uh, there's been some that have been added even in uh, somewhat modern times. But specifically, we can look at Passover, uh, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacle, Feast of Lights. Let's go to Galatians, just a couple books over to your left. Galatians uh, chapter 4. We won't go to the Old Testament and look at all these different feasts, but we're, we're familiar with these different, uh, these different feasts, these different festivals. But Galatians chapter 4, we, we see Paul make this very clear about these festivals and his concern for these festivals. And his concern for the Galatians. Because we know the, the story of Galatians, if you remember, uh, the, the kind of the narrative of Galatians is that these false teachers come into the, the churches of the Galatian area, the Galatia, and they are bewitching them. And they are trying to get them returned very specifically to the Mosaic Law. And so in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse, um, starting in verse 9, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature were not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And so these, these false teachers have come back and, and have had them return back to observing all of these days, months, and years, back to these festivals, these annual festivals. And although these festivals point to the, to the coming Messiah, this is not their command anymore. This is not the call of the believer anymore. This is not the call of those who've been raised in Christ. This is not the call of those who made alive together in Christ, as Colossians 2.13 says. This is not their call anymore. Now, they can do that. They can go back and do that if they desire to. But it's not the command of the believer to go back to and return to these festivals. To go back to this Passover, this Pentecost, and this Feast of Tabernacle, and these Feast of Lights. He says, so don't let anyone pass judgment on you and questions of these festivals, these questions of this food, of these drink, because this is not who you are this is if if you are in christ and especially when you come down to verse 20 if with christ you died so if with christ you died if you've been made alive together with him if you have been forgiven of all of your trespasses if christ is in you and you are in him then don't let anyone pass judgment on you in these matters because this is not who you are and so it's these festivals. This is not where, where you have to, to live, so to speak. So we'll briefly stay on festivals and food and drink and festivals. And thirdly, there's these new moons. I say, what's a new moon? I thought we only had one moon. There are the old moons and new moons? Well, new moons is actually a reference to uh, Numbers 28.11. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. Uh, is, uh, these new moons is a reference likely to, uh, to the sacrifices because in Numbers 28.11 says at the beginning of all of your months, it was a command to when they were to make these monthly sacrifices that the priests would come and make sacrifices. The people of Israel would bring all of these sacrifices. Well, let's just turn that real quick just so we can see. Sorry, I fooled you. Uh, numbers 28. 
just so we can get a glimpse of these sacrifices. Numbers 28, 11. We can read uh, just a few of these verses. Number tw- Numbers 28, 11 says this. At the beginnings of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven males, seven male lambs of a year old without blemish, also three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull, and two-tenths of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for one ram, and a tenth of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for every lamb for a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma of food offering the Lord. And their drink offering shall be a half of hen of wine for a bull, and a third of hen for a ram, and a quarter of hen for a lamb. And this is a burnt offering of each uh, month throughout the months of the year also one male goat for a sin offering to the lord and it shall be offered besides a regular burnt offering and his drink offering and so there's very clear instructions on these monthly offerings and so uh and so there is this uh it's just very clear in the the culture of the jewish people and these new moons and this this monthly sacrificial system that they had and so uh this was this was how they live this is how they were called to worship and this was not, this is not part of the new covenant anymore because of Christ, as we're going to see in just a moment. It says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you because of these new moons, because of these annual festivals, because of this food and drink. And then this fourth thing of this list, and we'll spend a little bit of time on, is the Sabbath. It says, so let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink regard to a festival, regard to a new moon, and finally regard to the Sabbath. So we know that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Sabbath keeping was a big deal to say the least. It may be the uh, most detailed of the Ten Commandments. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20. Where we see um, the Ten Commandments listed out for us. There are two commandments that are the most detailed. One being the graven image of God, and it gives us great detail. And the other being the Sabbath day, and it gives us a lot of detail on, on what that looks like. And so when you look at the Sabbath day commandment, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And we can look all through the Old Testament and see so much about uh, how to rightfully observe the seventh day. We can see God's wrath poured out upon those who do not honor the Sabbath day. We can see so much about the Sabbath day. And as we're going to look in just a moment on these uh, on verse 17 here and the this, this shadow and, and ultimately what that points to, there's just so much that we can spend time on about the Sabbath day. And I don't want to diminish the Sabbath day at all. But the, the Sabbath day, it says, do not let anyone pass judgment on you in questions to this Sabbath day. So go to, uh, to Hebrews here, to Hebrews chapter uh, 4, if you will. Because the New Testament believer, members of the New Covenant, simply put, are not required to keep the Sabbath day 
as those were in the Old Testament. And we've walked through this in great lengths here in North Hills, especially whenever we worked our way through Hebrews chapter 4. And we'll briefly read through Hebrews 4 here. We'll start in Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, while the promise of injuring his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest and we know the sabbath ultimately is a picture of god's rest as he has said as i swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way and god rested on the seventh day from all of his works and again in this passage he said they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God wouldn't, would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so we know that Christ is that rest. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So we see that that rest, that Sabbath, is Christ. And so as we look at Colossians 2, when it says uh, that don't let anyone pass judgment on you because of the Sabbath, we see that there is not this commandment for the New Testament believer to, uh, to keep the Sabbath in the same way that the Old Testament uh, Jews kept the Sabbath. Now I want to quote for you John MacArthur, someone that we often look to and trust. And so I'm just going to read uh, something from MacArthur that will be helpful, was helpful for me. Here are nine, uh, nine observations from MacArthur on why members of the new, co- new Covenant are not required to keep the Sabbath. Number one, old, it is an Old Covenant sign. And I'm just going to give you some of these uh, references here. Found in Ezekiel 20.12. And I'll read that one for you. He says, I came... I gave them my Sabbath Sabbath as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So the old, old covenant um, Sabbath was an old covenant sign. Number two, there is no New Testament command to keep the Sabbath. Number three, we do see Sunday as a day of worship in the New Testament. And this is interesting to me. Let's go to Acts. Now, I do like to point out every now and then my, my own failures. Acts chapter 20. One reason why we have not gotten to the book of Acts is because we shortchanged the book of Acts. We preached through the book of, uh, we preached the book of uh, Acts very thoroughly, the first three chapters, and we recapped the last, um, how many chapters are there? There's uh, 27, 28 chapters, right? So 25 chapters in one week. So we didn't thoroughly get to Acts chapter 20 11 years ago. So, but Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart 
on the next week, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So, the third thing MacArthur says, we do see Sunday as a day of worship in the New Testament. Number four, Gentiles never commit, Gentiles were never commanded nor expected to keep the Sabbath. We see that in the Old Testament. Uh, number five, no, there was no biblical evidence of the Sabbath keeping prior to the law of Moses. Sixth thing MacArthur points out, the Jerusalem Council, which is found in Acts chapter 15, did not command the Gentiles to keep the Sabbath. Then number seven, uh, Paul warned about many different sins, uh, but he never, uh, he never warned about Sabbath breaking. Then number eight, Paul rebuked the Galatians uh, for thinking God expected them to observe special days. And so let's turn real quick to Galatians uh, chapter uh, four. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, that's what we just read. So we're going to read it again. When he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And so he rebuked him for, um, uh, for, for these days, but did not include the Sabbath. And then the ninth thing, Sabbath is a matter of Christian liberty. And so turn me um, to Romans chapter 14. And Romans 14 is a great parallel to Colossians chapter 2. Let's read the first uh, little bit of Romans chapter 14 here. As for those who, as for, the, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything that we've already talked about, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should fully be convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Then let's hop to the end of this, of this chapter. Do not, for the sake of food, do destroy the work of God. 
Everything is indeed clean, but it is, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we just see this, this beautiful summary, not only of the Sabbath here, we see this beautiful picture of of Paul, again, just making it clear that we're not to be passing judgment on one another for, for these different things. And that we should have this Christian liberty as believers in Christ. But before our time runs out, let's look at this, this last verse, verse 17, because this really is the heart of our text this morning. When he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or drink, Food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So why don't these matters that we've talked about, these matters of food and drink, of annual festivals, new moons, and Sabbath, why don't these things have the same weight that they once did? Why are things different for believers now than they were for Old Testament uh, individuals or Old Testament Jews who look to the Lord, why are they different? Because they are merely shadows. We understand this concept of shadows. If you're here with us during our time in Hebrews, we, we walk through this concept of shadows. Objects cast shadows. Shadows are at best, right? A, um, they're at best a dim picture of what the object is. Back in the day, you thought of a shadow, you thought of a, a coat rack, right? That uh, cast a shadow in the corner of the room and you thought it was a burglar or something. Now, in, uh, in my life, a shadow is a, the, uh, the charger light shining a uh, light on the cable and you think it's a snake on the ceiling, right? And it's not that anymore. But shadows are a little tricky. Shadows point as something that is much greater and the substance is Christ. All of these things Paul listed our shadows, food, drink, festivals, new moons, and the Sabbath. Food and drink. Jesus is the bread of life and the living water. All who come to Him will never thirst. They will never hunger. The feast of lights. Jesus is the light of the world and He will dispel all darkness. The new moon. Jesus is the ultimate and final sacrifice. His blood covered all sins, past, present, and future for all of those who will look to Him in faith and repentance and be saved. A Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In Him we cease from our works of salvation, for He has done all that is needed to make us right with God. So these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of these shadows, in questions of food or drink, in questions of these festivals, in questions of these new moons, in questions of, of Sabbath keeping. These are shadows of things to come. The substance belongs to to Christ. Let us walk in Christ and faith and let us desire to honor Him. Let us desire to honor Him as we walk in these things. 
That is desire to honor Him and honor our fellow brothers and sisters in food and drink, in all of these things. Let us desire to honor Christ in all that we do. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank You for this morning. We thank You for the chance to, to turn to Your Word, to, uh, to hear Your Word, Lord. And now, Lord, may we respond to Your Word in faith as we have a chance to continue to sing, as we have a chance to come to the communion table and to remember what you have done for us, as we have a chance to, to give, Lord, as we have a chance to go from this place, may, may all of this be in response to what you have done for us. May we respond in faith now. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.